Welcome to Shofar Cape Town South Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. John 1, verse 35 up to verse 49. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus and he, as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means, the, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophet wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That's awesome. I think I love Jesus. What do I think? I really love Jesus. I think Jesus is just amazing. If you can just go back to those verses. I'm going to be sharing with you about following Jesus. Following Jesus. Or being a Christ follower, being a disciple. And I'm just going to use this text to share with you about a few things that comes along the whole process of discipleship. And I'm really going to focus very much about how Christ began his discipleship journey with some of these guys. How Christ went about to, to do the whole thing of discipleship. Because the primary responsibility of the church is to make disciples. In Matthew 28, verse 19, the Bible says, Go unto all the nations and make disciples. There is an instruction that Christ gave, a command, that we are called to make disciples. But I believe, if we were to do it well, let's look at the way Christ went about it. People go and study about discipleship for years. People write thesis about it. People do research for it. For it. So I wouldn't answer necessarily everything about discipleship in the setting. Maybe, let me get a few answers. What does it mean to be a disciple, brother? What does it mean to be a disciple? Okay, to be a follower. Okay. My friend, what does it mean to be a disciple? No, I mean, to be just a disciple in general, someone's disciple. Just in general. What about you? What does it mean to be a disciple? To spread it out with you. I'm just talking about just in general. Not, let's forget about the Bible. Just in general, what does it mean to be a disciple? Ayanda, what does it mean? Huh? Okay. Given, what does it mean to be a disciple? 
<laughs> Come on. Sure. By the way, before I forget, I want to welcome Jason and Marion. <laughs> wow. Jason has been in this church for as long as I've been, <laughs> almost. <laughs> I think by the time I joined the church, he was already in the church. Yeah. So, like in 2010, he was already there. Uh, Marion also, she's been also in the church for a long time now. 2014! Oh my goodness. Six years. Now she's married. Um, she was a student like you. She used to sit as well in this venue. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Thanks for coming. Um, Wilbert, what does it mean to be a disciple? A student. So what is the, the difference between coaching or mentoring and discipleship? Is every coaching a discipleship? Is every mentoring a discipleship? What is the difference between coaching and mentoring? That's too much. Between coaching and discipleship. What is the difference? Chido. Oh my goodness. I think a good example, sometimes when you watch soccer, you, f you see some coaches with a big blessing on this part. <laughs> on this part. They're leading a huge soccer team and they're telling the player, play there, run, run, go in the corner, run. But if you were to put them on the field, they would not survive for 10 minutes. That's the coach right there. You know, he's had the experience, he understands the dynamic, but he doesn't necessarily have the physical capability or capacity to do what he's instructing you to do. So not every instructor is necessarily someone that is discipling you or is necessarily discipling someone. I love the story that one of the guys who teaches at Convergence, Courtney Baker, tells about himself. One day he was in a class where he was learning how to translate um, the Bible into Greek and then he was sitting under this Greek lecturer where he ended up being the only student and then the one time the guy noticed that he was really struggling now this professor came to him and said to him he knew what he meant he said to him in Greek he said to him I'm going to make you my disciple so that by the end of the year by the end of this course, you will be able to translate this text as I do. Basically, Colonel Baker was saying being a disciple is being put into a, a condition or an environment where you are being shaped to the point of really becoming like your master. Right? So according to Colonel Baker, it's really a process where you are spending, you are, you are being conditioned in a certain environment where you spend time with someone with the purpose of doing life just like they do. What is interesting here is that Jesus, will, Jesus was passing by and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John had his own disciples. And one of them was Andrew. He had his own disciples, people that were following, that were under his teaching. When they heard these things from John, these two, in fact, Andrew, when he heard, he went to Jesus. And he asked him, where do you stay? Because he heard what John, his master, said. Almost like his pastor said, wow, this is the Lamb of God. Meaning, meaning this is definitely the fulfillment of the prophet. This is the Messiah. Perhaps John spent so much time telling them about the Messiah that was about to come. Suddenly, he hears his master introducing this guy. And he follows him. He says, where do you stay? And he followed him. And from there, he also went to his brother, Peter, and told him, hey, I found this Messiah. Let's follow him. 
And then later on, Jesus meets Philip. And he says to him, follow me. Without, I don't know if there was discussions. I don't know if the guy asked him. I don't know if there was many details like, okay, where? Am I following you to go where? You know, I'm not going to say what the Bible is not saying. The only thing that I'm noticing is that Jesus just said, follow me. And the guy followed him. Okay? The guy followed him. And after he found him, Philip also went to his brother, Nathaniel, and told him, yes, listen, I have found actually the Messiah. And the both of them, they followed him. What is interesting, if you read, for example, in other Gospels, you'll see that these guys, were, these guys were fishermen. They were busy fishing. They were busy with their nets. They were busy serving with their families. They were busy doing life. It's almost like when Jesus came, they had to stop everything to follow him. They were probably living out already their career. They were busy doing, perhaps their dreams were becoming just the greatest fisherman in those days, right? And there's nothing wrong with it. They were busy working and working. But suddenly, for some reason, when they met Jesus, they were ready to give up everything to embrace the dream of Jesus. They decided to condition themselves, to position themselves in an environment where they were learning, or where perhaps they were, they, they were becoming like Christ. Where the only thing they had was Jesus in terms of the present and the future. Imagine I come into a classroom, an auditorium, while you're busy, or perhaps before even UCT start, you are busy registering, you're doing chemical engineering, and I come before you and I say, hey, Dapiwa. Follow me. You might say, well, but my parents sent me all the way from Zimbabwe. Now you are coming to tell me that I need to follow you. What am I going to do? Where am I going to stay? If I have to be off campus, okay? Where am I going to stay? How are we going to pay rent? How, what are we going to do? Sometimes we read these stories and we just assume, okay, well, it just happened. It just followed Jesus. I don't think in practical, in practic in practical life that was the easiest thing to do. Because remember in those days, some of those people were, were living in terrible conditions because of the Romans and all that. But they had to follow a man whom they did not even know who was his dad. No reference. They only knew his mom. Okay, well, how were you born? Well, you can go and ask my mother. <laughs> or Joseph will give you the explanation. Just, just put yourself in the shoes of those guys. But what is interesting is that if you, if you read about all the rest of the disciples, even some of those disciples, they asked to, there are some to whom Jesus went and said, follow me. And others were invited by others. Speaks a lot about just Christ's uh, leadership system. But what I'm wanting to focus on first is, it's almost like the boat had to stop. Everything in the life had to stop. And suddenly they had to completely surrender their dreams, everything, to embrace the dream of Jesus. They made of Jesus' dream their dream. They positioned themselves in an environment where they were learning what does it mean to be like Jesus. What did Jesus do with them? One of the primary things that Jesus did, Jesus revealed, not only to them, but to the whole world. What it means to be a son of God. He revealed the Father. He really came to set a standard of how it looks like being fully a man and being filled with the same spirit of God. It is in the environment of Jesus that they saw the first, they saw water turning into wine. It's in the, in the, in the environment of Jesus that they saw a dead being raised the presence of Jesus that they saw the bread being multiplied. In the presence of Jesus that they saw even Peter's mom was sick. Jesus prayed for her and she got healed. Jesus 
basically revealed to them the Father. Revealed to them God. They were in an environment, they spent their entire life with a man that displayed how it looked like being filled with the very life of God. Paul says that Jesus was the expression of the, or the physical expression of the invisible God. At some point, Philip asked him, but show us the Father, and that will be enough. He said, whoever has seen me, have seen the Father. So these guys, when they stopped everything to follow Jesus, basically, they were embracing a new dream. They were embracing a new life. Many of us say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I follow Jesus. What did you leave? What really changed from the time you said to Jesus until now? What really changed? You know, I'm always amazed with my dad's story. Because my dad did not grow up in an environment where people were Christians. They were just good people. Good citizens. Good behavior. Good people. Good art. You know, uh, good citizens. Right? But they were not necessarily followers of Christ. He grew up, he came from a culture where men have no single respect for women. Where men just marry as much women as they want. In fact, his oldest brother is polygamous. His younger brother is polygamous. Right? So, that's the kind of environment he was born in. But in his youth days, when he, became, when he was a student, a university student, he gave his life to Jesus from an early age. And I can tell you, from the time I was a kid until today, I have never heard any insult from his mouth. Not one day. I have never seen him shouting on my mother in my presence. I have never seen it. <laughs> Maybe they had their own fight, I don't know. But I was not there. I have never, I have never, ever, ever seen it. He has never insulted me. I have never seen him speaking down or treating me different from my sisters or others. All the same. But when I look at that, what really changed? The encounter with Jesus. His value set was redefined through Christ, through his encounter with Jesus. If you really want to know whether you are a disciple of Jesus, you have to ask yourself, how does doing the life of Jesus change your daily life or your daily routine? The problem today is that we have Christians that are saying so many good things. Because today you can read so much online. You can study the Bible online. There's a lot of free resources. Jesus says it's by their fruit. If you have spent time with Jesus, time will tell. Time will tell. The disciples, when they came to arrest them, they were able to see that these guys they were like Jesus. In fact, when they came to arrest Jesus, they didn't know who he was. One of the soldiers needed to kiss Jesus. Judas needed to kiss Jesus so that the soldiers would be able to know who was the Messiah. These guys, they spent time together with Jesus. They became like him. When you read in Acts, the miracles through Peter, a lot of them, there were so many, so much similar to the miracles Jesus did. Why? They spent time with him. You will always look like the people you spend the most time with. And your mind will always be dominated by the conversations you hear around you daily. If you are, if you are surrounded with people that are constantly negative, it may not influence you today, but at some point, it will influence you. For me, the basic understanding of being a disciple is positioning yourself in the presence of Jesus 24-7. You mustn't think when you are about to sleep, then Jesus also goes and takes a nap in heaven. He's there as well. And you mustn't think 
when you go into a lecture theater, then Jesus suddenly stays at the church. No. Jesus is there. How does the presence of Jesus affect your behavior? How does the presence of Jesus change the way you talk to about one another, or to talk to someone, how you deal with your brothers, with your sisters, with whoever? You see, everybody can say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. One of them, at some point, betrayed him. One of them sold him out. It wasn't a Pharisee that went and sold Jesus. It was one of the disciples. So the problem of, of, of following Jesus isn't just a matter of how you start. You should think of the end. Will you, how will you end your life? You see, I've seen so many people that decided to follow Jesus. They went to a crusade. They prayed. They said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Until a boyfriend came. I've seen guys. I surrender all to you. Everything I need, I give to you. And suddenly, there is a girl that came in his life. And she says, I don't, want the, I don't like the whole idea of church. I actually like to spend my time on Sunday with you alone. I don't want to go to church. Then suddenly the guy's like, okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We don't have to go to church. It's fine. In fact, I don't preach at the church, so it's fine. It's okay. And on Wednesday... When blessings invite you to a small group, uh, blessing, something has come up. Uh, <laughs> can you please change the small group on, when, on, on Thursday? Now you're putting pressure on the small group. Let's do it on Thursday because you do have an appointment. Because someone told you, if you don't pitch up on Wednesday at the movie night, it's finished. <laughs> can I tell you, 90% of Christians that I've seen even speaking in tongues, compromise on the, on the journey of following Jesus because of romantic relationships. Because romantic relationships was more real to them than the relationship of Jesus. I tell you, how will you know that you have given Jesus to everything until you, are, you, are, you, you have to choose between so much and Jesus? What you feel, what you love, what you enjoy, what is cool, what is amazing, the pleasure. And suddenly, you have to say no because of Jesus. Some people don't sin not because they love Jesus, because they haven't got an opportunity. <laughs> I tell you, some of us just give us one billion rand. You imagine you've never had 100,000 rand in your account. And suddenly you've got 1 billion rand. Where you can plan anything. You want to know someone? Give them power. Give them money. Sometimes you don't have many choices. Right? So sometimes you think you've got only one choice. Jesus is my everything. Jesus is the only thing because that's the only choice you have. That's the only thing. It's not easy to be like Bill Gates, to be like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, whatever it is, and all of these guys, and to choose to follow Jesus. 
and to look at your worth, to look at your money and say, well, this will be an offering unto Jesus. That I'm going tre- to treasure my money and my degree and everything for his glory. Do you know that there are even people who do ministry, not for the glory of Jesus, for their own glory. But while you're very sincere that I am serving God. But in reality, you're building a career in the name of Jesus. And how do you know that? Give time. Time will tell if your claim of being called by God is really a true claim. Time. You know, you can get someone and say, oh, I love you, babe. I love you so much. Oh, you are amazing. Oh, I don't know. I can't sleep anymore because I'm thinking about you. Give time to the dude. <laughs> Give him time. Give him time. You will truly know if you are the only one, if you are the one and only. But that's the thing. These guys, they were busy with their lives. It's almost like the boat stopped. Suddenly, Jesus had to become everything. At some point, one of the disciples said, Jesus, we've, fall- we've, we've dropped everything. We've left our families. When we're following you, what are we going to get? I think that's a real question to get to Jesus, especially if you decided to follow him 100%. Jesus said, your reward is in this time and even the time to come. How do we believe? Because this is still an abstract answer. The thing is, I just like to be more practical of my journey with Jesus. Because sometimes we speak too many biblical lingo, and then it's all Moses and Abraham and Isaac and David and all of that. And then by the time you are facing with a choice, then now you suddenly it's like you've never read the Bible. There are even Christians today that fall in love because somebody pursued them on Facebook. This is real. This is real. You should go. I've never been on those, on those websites. Go on Tinder. Tinder. Is Tinder or Tinder? Tinder or some of these things. There is a lot of Christians that are spirit-filled. That are desperate for relationships. That also uses the app. Well, I'm not condemning them. I'm not, I don't have the right to condemn anybody. All I'm trying to say is. It is the things that are the closest to your heart. That will often reveal the level of your commitment. And how far have you committed to Jesus? And how, how do you engage with such things in terms of your relationship with God? Why am I using romantic examples? Because those are the things that is the, most, the closest to our hearts. Romantic relationship is the, one, is the one that is so closer to worship. I have seen people whom that was everything for them. That was their heart. They killed themselves for that. I know a student who killed himself because one day he couldn't have sex with his girlfriend. He killed himself. Killed himself. Hanged himself because of that. Because that was everything for him. In other words, when you decide to follow Jesus, you're going to have to have very very good conversation with him about your romantic relationship, your mind's relationship with him, the way you do friendship, the way you're going to handle your money, the way you're going to handle your time, the way you're going to handle people, the way you're going to handle... You're going to have to have a conversation with Christ about everything because he has a say and he is the Lord. You don't suggest him. <laughs> He's going to have to come on. That's the complexity. The problem today is that when you say people, well, we have to submit to Christ. Like, oh, well, why should I have to submit? Why can't we just chat with Jesus? Why must I suddenly suddenly just to, to do his will? Is God selfish like that? You see, that happens when we don't see the goodness of God. And I would like you to, and I, to trust that the Lord reveals to us who is this Jesus. Because if we don't know him, we will not choose to follow him. You know, I've preached so much in the church, but a lot of times I thought people knew Jesus, but they actually don't know. <laughs> they don't know who is this Jesus. My sisters and my brothers... Jesus is real. He's real than the table I'm seeing in front of me. 
Jesus is real than Tapiwa that I'm seeing. It's more real. But until Jesus is more real to you than your reality, you will surrender to that which is more real to you. Telling you the truth. Have you followed him? Have you followed him? Have you followed him? Have you really followed Jesus? If you did, do you know him? What is he saying about 2020? What is he saying about next year? I would like to set up a challenge for each and every one of us. You know, one of the proof that <laughs> Andrew really met Jesus, he was so excited about knowing Jesus that he spoke to his brother. He said, I found the, the real thing. John was the deal, but this is the real deal. You know, Philip was like, oh my goodness, I have found the dude. Moses spoke about him. The real dude is here. We were all waiting. You know, Moses, Elijah, all of these people, they were waiting for the day of the Messiah. Suddenly, Philip is like, In my opinion, one of the signs that you have really encountered Jesus, you've become a disciple, is how excited you are about speaking about him. Does your heart burn when you speak about Jesus? There's a Congolese song that says, whenever I hear the name of Jesus, my heart goes on fire. I'm going to sing it now for you. It says, I never, it, I struggle to get quiet, to get calm whenever I hear about his name. Because whenever I hear it, my heart burns. Let's get on fire. It, it goes this way. Says, the desire is to bow and worship him. How excited are you when people start to say Jesus? Many times, Jesus is just like someone says Chick-fil-A or, <laughs> or KFC or McDonald's, you know, or Burger King, you know, CTICC, whatever it is. The name of Jesus at which every, every one of us will bow one day. How excited are we? You know when you, but now notice, when we are in love, when we are dating, whenever you hear someone says, the name, like, okay, what? <laughs> what? What's happening? You know, you want to check, are they speaking? Now imagine, do you know how much upset you can get if they're speaking negatively? But uh, why do we, feel, do we sit so comfortably even when people blaspheme? We just we don't care. Courtney Baker said again, he did a course on this thing called Assidia. He was basically speaking about this thing that in the, in the, in the early church, the church fathers, they had a thing in the church in, amongst them which they considered a sin, which basically, um, which basically was about not caring when you just don't care. They considered that as a sin when you just don't care. And the reality is today, we don't care. You know, next to you, there is an empty seat. Next to you, just check, just look there. There's empty seats. Those seats, I can, if you guys leave the venue and I preach to all the seats, none of the seats will say amen. One day after, after a few years, they will come and replace these chairs. In fact, these chairs are new. There used to be other chairs. We have to reach to so many that needs to know this Jesus that we have discovered. That will be the sign that we have decided to follow him. Because we have found in him that which we cannot find in the world. But if you don't even know Jesus, maybe I'm like, oh, this Jesus thing, I actually, I actually came here because my mom said I need to come to church. But in reality, <laughs> this Jesus thing, I actually don't understand it. And then someone will come to you on campus and say, 
Do you know actually that you do have a dad and you do have a mom? So if there is such a thing as a God the Father, there is probably also God the Mother. Don't you think? Yeah, it makes sense. I've never heard about this. Yeah, come. And they will give you a, a scripture. The spirit and the bride say, come. And I'll be like, ah, okay. What about this thing? Actually, I actually have an issue with these fathers, fathers, fathers thing. Let me rather have a female God. Okay? And suddenly, people end up there. But do you know why we can easily end up in such things? Because we actually don't know this Jesus that we're following. Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. I mean, those guys, they went to the synagogue just like any Jew. They went to the synagogue. They prayed. They had prayers. They had prayer. They repeated Moses' prayers. All of that. And yet, they noticed that the way Jesus prayed was very different. One of the signs for me, this is a personal thing. You can also utilize it. How I often see that someone is growing, one of the things is I hear how they pray. For me, prayer time is, is, is important. One of the things that I'm thinking maybe I might apply in the nation's band, one of the, when people get auditioned, I'm just going to ask them to pray. <laughs> and you know, one of the signs that you are really growing in your journey with God is by your speed of your obedience. How quick do you obey? When the Holy Spirit says, Tapiwa, it's 11 p.m. He says, drop your, your Facebook, drop your WhatsApp. I want you to pray. How quick do you submit to that voice? But how quick do you submit to the voice that says, Instagram, your status, it has become second nature. Your speed of obedience reveals how much surrendered you are to Christ. So, I would love us to do a proper campaign where we're going to reach out to the lost for the next four weeks. So, I would, love, I would like to suggest this. That each and every one of us you will give yourself a goal to reach out to at least one person. Just one person. You know, my dad got saved by reading a book. Whoever wrote that book does not know that somebody was going to get saved. And one day his son will be preaching at another church. I would like you to say, Jesus, I would love to reach to one person. But we're going to set also a few evangelism outreach, which is going to be from this Wednesday, lunchtime on Plaza. We're going to go and reach out to people. I'm not crazy about going to reach out to people who are in other churches already. They're already saved. Great. Bless them. I'm interested in the lost. I'm interested in those who do not know this Jesus. When you are in trouble, you pray. But some people, when they're in trouble, they can't pray. They can only be depressed. Because they don't have a God they can lean on to. The burdens that you bring to Jesus, they don't bring to anybody. They have to carry themselves because they don't know God. So our, we're going to do evangelism on every Wednesday from this week. Wednesday, lunchtime. We're going to be on Plaza Day. There's a lot of students walking around. And if you would like to join, you know, I would like you to Text me or to text to Jamie Lee. Or perhaps on the piece of paper where you are, you can just write behind the piece of paper. You can just write there, lunchtime. So what you can do is, you can maybe commit for one of the four, four Wednesdays. You can maybe say, oh, okay, I would love maybe to come at the Wednesday of this week, or maybe the following week. Uh, you can commit to one or two, max two. You don't have to come at all, the, all, the, all of those lunchtime. Those will be a corporate outreach that we're going to do. Maybe we can go two by two and we can do that. But beyond, maybe you might struggle to attend any of those four. I would like you to target at least one person that you can invite to church, that you can really trust. Maybe you don't know how to preach. The only thing that how to, how to share the gospel with anybody. So need trainings for it. Relax. All you can do maybe is by inviting them to a small group. 
You prepare your small group leader and say, well, hmm, I have a friend. She's not saved or he's not saved. And I'm wanting to invite him to Wednesday. Please, let's make sure we behave ourselves well. <laughs> and let's make sure that we share the gospel and let's trust that this person gets saved. Remember, you don't save anybody. Jesus saves. You can be obedient. Okay? We just need to be obedient. So I will have each and every one of us. You may say, do you actually do it? I do it. There are people that are sitting in this venue because I did reach out to them. I shared with them the gospel. I led them to the Lord. I took the risk. It was uncomfortable. It was awkward. It was awkward. I can promise you. Even me, I get awkward so many times. When I get awkward, then I, I, I just smile. <laughs> <laughs> so this Wednesday from this Wednesday so if each and every one of you who are in a small group I would like you to also communicate maybe to a small group like well maybe from Wednesday, this Wednesday this is going to be the case but behind that you can say Wednesday because there is already your name you can just say evangelism I would like each and every one of us to do it but then when we meet there we can split into groups of three into group of four on the 27th, I would like you to pray about that because I've already, we've already requested a booking for Plaza on a Thursday. We would like to do an outreach. I'm really trusting that on the, on the 27th, they give, us the, they give us the Plaza. I'm going to go follow up on that so that we can have praise and worship and proper outreach for an hour and trust that people will get saved. Last year, we had Nations Day with Nations Band. Kirsten joined us from there. There she's sitting with us. So, there is a lot of people that came to this church because we did outreach on Grashalons. Who came through Grashalons? Bandla, where are you? Jamie's there. Armand is there. You know, uh, I remember Anati as well. Kiara, you too? Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Because we did outreaches. So, we want to see more Kiaras, more Anatis, more of them. That are going to be discipled. Okay? I, the Lord said to me this, this week something. He, says, he said to me, if we're building a church of people that do not care about discipleship, we're probably not doing church. When being baptized doesn't mean anything to us, the foundational things, we don't care. There's just no feelings about it. Then we're probably doing something else. Okay? So, I would like to challenge you. Maybe you don't know Jesus, but you want to know him. This is an opportunity as well to serve. But this is not more important than following Jesus. I'd rather have you following Jesus and not feel this than trying to feel this while you don't actually know. Because by the time I call you, okay, can you please come and do hospital? You'll be like, oh, man, why did I even sign that thing? <laughs> because Jesus is not at the center. When I call you, I'm like, there is someone on Barista. I'm like, oh, that time I tried to, to, to press that thing, but it was so hot and I burned myself. I'm not going to go again. I'm going to switch off my phone. So sometimes we do. <laughs> we can be unpredictable beings, eh? Do you know we are all unpredictable, eh? Sometimes. So I would like to suggest that we make the biggest, the greatest of the greatest commitment. To follow Jesus. I would like to call the band in front. And we're going to sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. But before you do that, if you've been a member of this church already, and you may be interested in serving, or maybe you are new and you would love to serve, um, one thing that you can add there is um, maybe band or something. You can tick as well. Anything, you can just tick wherever you see your gift. But when you finish, when you come out of the venue, you can please make sure you, you put it on that, on that desk, these little pieces of paper, right? Don't feel forced. Um, if you don't feel very convicted about anything, you don't have to feel as well. Uh, it, it's okay as well. But we just want to give an opportunity for everyone to serve, okay? Let's stand on our feet. The question that I have for you, do you know Jesus?
What does the cross mean to you? You know, when Jesus died on the cross, for those soldiers, they were just busy punishing a man who claimed to be the king of the Jews. For the political leaders, they were just punishing a man that rebelled against them. For the disciples, it was the death of their master. Some of them went even back fishing. And for the people that were there, they were mourning because this guy was in pain. Each and every one of them had a specific understanding of the cross. Each and every one of them understood the cross in their own way. The apostle Paul, he wasn't there. But when he comes on the scene, few years later, few years later, he comes on the scene. When he looks at the cross, he saw his own death. He said, I was crucified with him. The cross didn't mean to Paul just the death of, a, of some rabbi one day who had 12 disciples. But the cross for him was the place of his own death. And he didn't just see the death of Jesus as the death of this Messiah. Even the resurrection, he saw it as his own resurrection. He said, we were crucified with him. And he made us alive in him. We resurrected with him. What does the cross mean to you? Everyone that was on the cross of Golgotha, everyone that was on Golgotha in that day, had a, had a perception about the cross. Very few of them understood that the death that was happening there was the death of the old man. Was also their own death. When Paul looks at the cross, he saw it as a place of reconciliation where Jesus reconciled us with the Father. The place where Jesus reconciled us with one another. He saw the cross as a place of reconciliation. But he also saw the cross as a place of intimacy. If you do not understand the life of Jesus, you do not understand the death of Jesus, you do not understand the, the suffering of Jesus, you do not understand the resurrection of Jesus, you do not understand his ascension and even his coming back, it will be very difficult for you to follow him. The only thing I can tell you now is that everything that Jesus did on the cross, he did it just for you. Everything that Jesus came to do on earth, he came to do it for you. The pain, the suffering, the shedding of the blood. In fact, the Bible says, by his wounds we were healed. Everything that Jesus came to do, the suffering, he did it for you. The Bible says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of Jesus wasn't just shed for fun. It wasn't just a, a merely punishment from some political government. But Jesus decided to lay down his life so that we can have life. So that we could know the true living God. The Bible says, when he released the Spirit, the veil in the, in the temple was torn. In, the, in those days, not everyone had access to the holy place. Only the high priest. But basically, symbolically, when the, the veil was torn, that basically meant that everyone now had access into the presence of the true living God. The only guarantee I can tell you about having access into the presence of God is the cross of Jesus. It is his death. It is his resurrection. And when he ascended, he said he went to prepare a place for you. He came to give you hope. Hope in this life and even in the life to come. He went and he made sure he prepared a place with your name. He calls you by name. And when he ascended to heaven, he didn't just go and relax. He sent his Holy Spirit so that the true living God will dwell in you. You will bear the mark of heaven, the mark of God. 
that the presence of God will become more and more real to you so that you will truly know God. Jesus said, everlasting life is knowing the Father and it's knowing Him that was sent. We want to know Him. If you are here, you want to make that decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you've said to yourself, you've followed Jesus, but as you realize, you don't really know Him. And right now, you want to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I don't understand the details, but I trust you. And I'm wanting to follow you. Just raise your hands where you are. Raise your hands where you are. And we're going to make a commitment to this Jesus. We're going to decide to follow him. Don't feel shy. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die in a secret place. He died in a public place. And when we commit to him, we don't commit to him in a secret place. We commit to him publicly as a sign of following him. If tonight you hear, maybe you've been following him, but without understanding what you're busy doing, we just want to make that significant commitment. I want you to raise your hands high and we're going to pray together. I want you to make a bold step of making that commitment that Jesus, I'm not just going to talk about you, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life because you mean everything. Maybe you just want to say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to surrender. I want to surrender control. I want to surrender everything to you. Maybe you've given to him partially certain things. And today you want to say, Jesus, I want to give you everything. I want you to keep your hands high. Keep it high. Don't be shy. Don't be ashamed. There is no shame here. There is no condemnation for those who are following you, for those who are in Christ. God is here. God is here. He sees your heart. He sees your heart. He sees your heart. Just keep your hands raised. Let's pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, today I decide to follow you with all my heart, with all my strength. Be my king. Be my Lord. Be in charge of everything. Lord, I long to know you. I long to know your heart. I long to fellowship with you. I love you, Lord, with all my heart. Won't you just where you are, put your hand on your heart. And we're going to make this prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, take hold of my heart. Take hold of my life. I need you more than anything. Be the king of my heart. Be the king of my life. Holy Spirit, heal my heart from any hurts, from any offense. I forgive those who have offended me. I forgive whoever offended me. And I decide to have my heart as your home, your only home. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. I have this